Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Bible's probably just all open to Acts 2. Acts chapter number 2, going to be reading just a couple of verses, verses 37 and 38. Amen, this morning. From time to time, we, I, to the best of my ability, try not as a uh, pastor just to have a candy stick, so to speak, that I just constantly go back and just preach along the same line, same line, over and over, over and over. But there are certain things in God's word that absolutely must be preached over and over and over. We got to preach about tithing and giving. We got to preach about holiness, both of attitude and of standard of of living. We got to preach about repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. All of those things are standard. We got to preach about uh, the oneness of God. Amen. All of those things that we revisit over and over again. And so I try not, though, just to always talk about happiness or always talk about joy. Or I, I try to allow God's word. I mean, you got 66 books in here to pick from. I mean, in reality, you got 66 books in here to pick from. And so as I read through the Bible each year, I don't want it only to speak to me, but I want it to speak to you. But this morning, I want to talk about, I want to talk about repentance this morning. I want to call my lesson today, turn over a new leaf. You ever heard that phrase? Turn over a new leaf. Ever heard that? Basically, it's a little phrase or idiom that basically means to begin again or afresh. In our society today, when someone says, uh, turn over a new leaf, we usually mean that it's some type of change for the better. But whenever this first came into being back in the 16th century, its basic meaning was change. And so that goes hand in hand with repentance. Because repentance is a change or a turning around. And that can be for the better or for the worse as well. A turn. You can be turning towards something good or you might be turning towards something bad. And so turn over a new leaf. Now, I don't know if anybody's realized this, but whenever we talk about turn over a new leaf, we're not talking about a leaf off a tree. The origin of this, a book has leaves. Every page in a book is a leaf. And so when it talks about turning over a new leaf, it's turning a page with a clean slate to write a new story, fresh beginning. And so turning over a new leaf is is turning to that that new page. Acts chapter number 2, and uh, I want to read verse number 37. The Bible says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, and I, I think it's important today, Because the Bible already prefaces before this that these grouping of people have believed. But evidently, belief wasn't enough because they're asking, what shall they do? And so they say then, verse 38, Peter says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so I want to talk this morning about turn over a new leaf. And really it's concerning, amen, repentance. 
And repentance isn't just as you know, but I, I'm just going to state it as though nobody knows today. All right. Amen. Uh, repentance isn't just something that happens when someone's coming to uh, find the Lord, if you will, for the first time. But repentance needs to be a daily part of our lives, making a conscious choice every day to turn away from the world in which we live and turn toward the Lord. As I was getting ready for church this morning, uh, Bishop, I was listening to Brother Mooney preach, and he was coming to the close of his sermon, and he talked about years and years ago when his daughter was real small, they had visited California over on the West Coast, and they were out there on a pier, and his little daughter was constantly, and they were just tourists, they were just for there for a little speck of time out there on the pier, and uh, she was caught talking about, man, I would really like to fish, you know, out here. She's just a little spit. You know, I'd really like to fish out here. And so an older man out on the pier heard that, Mike. And he said, do you mind if I do your, your daughter a favor here? And he said, Brother Moon, he said, no, go on. He gave her a, a fishing pole, and he cast it out for her over the pier, gave her a, a fishing pole. But unbeknownst to any of them, what they had seen, would they have thought what happened happened that 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 lure and everything that was cast out there got caught by a seal and began to pull that girl over the rail and the moment he had brother Mooney says I just barely got a hold of one of her feet and I was in a power struggle with that seal that was pulling my little girl over the well and what it all comes down to is this you never know where you're casting the line what you might get ensnared by I thank God I got some people on the home team that's tugging on the opposite end, don't you? Amen. She, oh, just so no one's in suspense, she's fine today. She's a growing woman, but everything's fine and well. But Amen. Let's pray this morning. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your people today. God, enlighten us, God, through your word again. Help us, God, to take, Lord Jesus, what may be a well-worn path, God, down the road of repentance. But, God, we can never say it enough. God, if it was your will, God, that all, Lord Jesus, would come to repentance and not perish. God, if your message, walking in shoe leather, Lord, was repentance and remission of sins, then help me, God, to herald the same message, Lord. Lord, for our day and in our hour. And we'll not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over a new leaf. Amen. I've preached along the lines of repentance so much or taught so much over the years of whether it be pastoring, evangelizing, or just in home Bible studies that uh, there are just certain things that are probably going to come out my mouth that come out my mouth every time. It's just the way that it is. But, uh, for instance, this morning, and just start just a little story here. A Sunday school teacher had asked class what the word repentance meant. The little boy put up his hand high in the air, eager as some children are, to answer questions. He says, it's being sorry for your sins. And he was quite proud of his answer. And then there was a little girl also that had her hand raised and anxiously just waving in the air, trying to get the attention of the teacher. And she says, it's not just being sorry. She says, but it's being sorry enough to quit. It's being sorry enough to quit. Because in many regards, people oftentimes equate repentance with just being sorry or apologizing to God. And, and, and if there's tears running down their face, that's even better. I'm just saying the way that we, we view things. You know, if there's tears uh, of sorrow of some degree going down their face and they're apologizing, telling God they're sorry, then that's great uh, repentance. However, true repentance, so that we don't get 
misconceived here. True repentance is not necessarily any of those things. All those things may accompany it, but it's not necessarily any of those things. True repentance, amen, uh, has in it a change. It, is, it, it causes a person to think differently, and as a result of thinking differently, they live differently. Amen. Uh, so to you say, well, they cried, so they must have repented. You can't use that as a so indication. I've seen some people cry because they got caught. Right? So you can't use tears necessarily as a so indication or, or apologizing. I've seen people apologize over the same thing over and over again. They're like a dog going back to their own vomit. They just constantly go. And so it's more than that. It's, it's to think differently or think afterwards as defined here in Acts chapter number 2. It originally meant this, repentance did, an afterthought. An afterthought. Anybody had an afterthought after you did something? You did it and then you was like, eh. Maybe that wasn't, maybe I shouldn't have, blah, blah. It's an afterthought, or if you will, a second thought. And when you have an afterthought or a second thought, what that usually is indicating is your first thought was wrong. <laughs> your first thought was wrong. And so it's a change of mind. And many times in the New Testament, it is a regret, a regret for sin. That has happened in your personal life. It's a regret for that in so much that it results in a change of conduct or at least attempting a change of conduct from that moment in time forward. This is important because repentance isn't just regret, just regret, isn't just regret for sins, but it's having that regret that spawns a change then to do something differently. All right. Peter had just finished preaching a very masterful sermon that we have looked at at different times in this church about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He was preaching the gospel. That's what Christ, uh, he, he, he asked of us to preach even still yet today, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he brought that revelation as we've looked at in our Acts series. He brought the revelation to the people that the Messiah who was prophesied about in the Old Testament was in fact Jesus Christ, their Lord and their Savior that they seen in the New Testament. And he helped them identify them that they had been participants in crucifying their Lord and Savior. They had been participants in crucifying, if you will, their Messiah. And so when they are faced with that fact, when they are faced with that fact that they are just as much to accuse and condemn as anybody else for crucifying their Messiah, the one that God raised up, then they had to do something. When they realized what they had done, what they had done, they were responsible then for what they had done, right? Because again, you, you, it's hard to take responsibility for something that you will not acknowledge or that you have not yet come to that moment in time that you believe you had any hand in that. And so whenever they believed and they seen what they had done, they were responsible and they had a afterthought. They had a second thought. They began to think differently about their actions. They had an afterthought. We know what we have done. They now realize that. We know what we have done. Now we want to know, because they asked Peter, they want to know what can we do or what shall we do. We know what we've done up to this moment in time. Uh, we know we crucified the Messiah. We know what we've done. But now what can we do about what we have done? <laughs> Amen? 
And so there could be people here today that already have knowledge of something that they've done incorrect or wrong. And you're sitting here, Brother McGee, I know what I've done. Many times people that first ever come to God, many times they have an awareness about what they've done. Even, even some general morality that's still yet a little bit in the earth uh, touches their lives and they know what they've done. But what they need help is with this. What should they do about what they've done? Amen. And so they ask that question, what shall we do? And they, they already experience the regret, of course, when they pose the question. What, what, what shall we do? Yet Peter still admonishes them to repent. Because it's more than just regret. Huh? They already came to terms with what they've done. No doubt felt the guilt and the shame as a result of that. But repentance is more than the guilt and the shame that's a result of that. It is a change, ultimately a change of conduct. A change of conduct. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 9. He says, now I rejoice, 2 Corinthians 7 and 9, now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, the apostle Paul says, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. So I guess you can be sorrowful without repenting. Huh? He said, but, but, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so there is a difference than just being sorry and sorrow that leads you to repentance. And evidently sorrow that leads to repentance is even better labeled godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. The apostle Paul here writing his letter to the Corinthian church, amen, He's writing a letter and has already written a letter because this is 2 Corinthians. He's already written 1 Corinthians. He's already written the first letter to the Corinthian church, which may very well be a reference here because he speaks to them of how he has written a letter to them So in 2 Corinthians. So he's probably addressing the first letter he wrote to them. And he tells them in verse number 8 that, that he realizes that he made them sorry with the first letter. In other words, whenever he wrote 1 Corinthians to them, he made them sorry because we got to understand the Corinthian church was a church made up of people and people had problems and people make mistakes and that's the way it's going to be history passing and for the future. As long as there's people involved, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be sin that pops up here and there. The 1 Corinthian church had fornication, discord, divisions. Go to any city in America or in a foreign land and you're going to find that to some degree in every church. Amen. Because it's made up of people. So it's a bad excuse to say, well, uh, there's gossip going on there. I'm going to change churches. Well, I hate to inform you. If you go to another church, you're going to find gossip to a certain degree. Or there's going to be division somewhere else. Nevertheless, let's not go off on a rabbit trail. One guy said, if, if you chase two rabbits, they'll both get away. <laughs> Amen. He tells them that he realizes them and he's made them sorry in the first letter. And the first letter had been written in order to address, again, many of the problems that was going on in the church at Corinth. Uh, many of the contentions that, that were among them. And so all Paul is admitting to saying here is by when he says, I do not repent, though I did repent, is that he reconsidered what he had said in the first letter. 
That's what he means when he says, I do not repent, though I did repent. He's reconsidering what he said in the first letter. And so the word here, repent, repent here means literally to care afterwards. In other words, he mulled everything over in his mind that he had said in the first letter. But as it stands, he doesn't regret having written it. Does not regret having written it. Paul's rejoicing is not because they felt sorry. Paul's rejoicing is not because they felt guilty or shame. He's not like, ha, ha, good for you, good enough. You should feel guilty. You know, he's not rejoicing as a result of that. But because his letter that he had written caused them to have an afterthought about their actions or a second thought about their actions. He was glad that their regret materialized into a change, a change of mind. That resulted in a change of behavior. Because, Lord, if there's ever a time, we need not to have a disconnect between the mind and the heart. Amen. It is for sure today. So being sorry or experiencing sorrow, again, is not the same as repentance. Paul distinguishes the two here. Ye were made sorry. Ye sorrowed to repentance. Two different things, being sorry and sorrowing unto repentance. In the Old Testament, I think this is an Old Testament picture or story that may illustrate this to a certain degree for us. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ruth, the Bible speaks about how Ruth and her family went down uh, into Moab and that she lost her husband and she lost her two sons who had married while they were in Moab. And the Bible says that Ruth hears that there's bread back in Bethlehem of Judea and she's going to go back there. And whenever she says she's going to go, her two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Ruth, the Bible says, lifted up their voices. They began to weep, both of them. But at the end of the day, how the story plays out is this. Orpha stayed with her family in Moab, with her gods in Moab. All right? While Ruth, on the other hand, says, I'll go where you go. I'll lodge where you lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she left her family and she left all the false gods to serve the Lord in Bethlehem. They both cried. They both cried. But one stayed and one went. So you can't just put your elbow and all of your thumb of truth down on a tear. And I'm not being insensitive. I'm just being real. You can't just put it all down on a tear. What Paul said did not injure the first Corinthian church. In reality, it benefited them. But the fact of the matter is, and I'm telling you, you're talking to a guy that that will be probably supportive before I'm challenging. All right. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes people need challenged. Amen challenged about where they are and the end result for doing that is not just to to cloak them in guilt and shame and destitution but is for the purpose of a benefit of moving in a different direction than the way that they have been going and so sure the first corinthian church felt conviction about what they had done but ultimately who they had done it to So not just feeling bad about what happened, but having a clear understanding about who it was done to. They were sorry after a godly manner. And when you're sorry after a godly manner, uh, you realize that your actions, 
though on the surface may have been against another individual, an institution, perhaps even yourself, that ultimately your actions, though, have sown discord with God. They've separated you from God. So that's where it really needs to come to terms. Not just that I've done so and so wrong, but by doing them wrong, I've done God wrong. By doing this action, I've, I've done God wrong. Or by doing this concerning myself, I've done God wrong. And so that's the big picture. We, I know we live on this earth, and our vision and our, our, all of our concern is horizontal. We just see each other, what each other do. We live in this life. But there is a, verti- there is a, vertical, there is a vertical life as well. And that's the one that we need to keep in mind as we live this one. Amen. Because if it's just people, then we can justify why we did what we did for so-and-so. Right? We, we justify that nine times, out, you know, nine times out of ten. But whenever we get this one and realize when we do that, then that we, when you've done it to the least of these, he said, you've done it unto. And so whenever we understand that one, you have no justification on this end of the stick. Huh? You tell me what he didn't do for you that he should have. You tell me a price that he paid that wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. And so David even has this light bulb moment in his own life in Psalms 51, which is the psalm that he penned after he had committed sin. I say this particularly against the Lord. In Psalms 51 and verse number 3, David says, for I acknowledge, that's good, my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against thee, he's speaking to God, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He wasn't saying that he didn't have, let me just go on. That thou mightest, read the rest of the verse, I'll leave you hanging, don't I? That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now. He's not saying that he didn't do no wrong to Bathsheba or Uriah. But what he's getting at is this. He says, I really understand where this all leads to ultimately. Whenever I, whenever I transgress or iniquity within other people's lives, I really understand where all these arrows point ultimately. It points to that I've done an injustice against God. David sinned against Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, of course, in committing adultery with his wife. Ultimately, then, in killing Uriah, he, he, he sinned against Bathsheba in, in taking her into a bed of adultery. Amen. He was king. He could even have forced that matter if that was the case or not. But in his prayer, David is sorry and he's regretful after a godly sort because he realizes ultimately his deeds were in opposition to a holy God, he said, against thee, thee have I sinned. I've done this evil in your sight. It's the same thing that we've already looked at concerning Joseph. He says, I'm not going to go with Potiphar's wife if I can't do this wickedness against God. Right? He didn't even throw the husband, you know, my master's giving me all the house. That's what he said concerning him, but save you. But he said, if I'm doing wrong, I'm doing it against God. Ultimately, God. And so the sorrow of the world, to differentiate from a godly sorrow, the sorrow of the world is a sorrow for the feeling of, of guilt. Guilt comes and they, you feel sorry. Huh? Shame comes. You feel sorry. You feel bad. We don't like to feel bad. 
Humanity doesn't like to feel guilty. It's just part of the interweaving of, of mankind. We don't like to feel guilty. We don't like to feel shameful. My kids sometimes apologize to each other because they feel bad. They're guilty. They don't like what they're feeling, so they very quickly want to remove that by saying sorry. So you know what? That Listen, you know what that does? That isn't so much for the purpose of the person that was hurt. It was so that they stopped feeling the way they do. And you know what that is? That's self-serving. Right? I punch Bobby. Bobby starts crying. I feel bad about that. Someone comes and says, I'm sorry I punched Bobby. I'm doing that not really for Bobby's sake. I'm doing that for my sake. Huh? So we need to we need to see. Yeah, it's good to get out from under a load of that, but we need to acknowledge though where the herd has been laid. Huh? We need to we need to check our motive. Because here's the thing: if we get selfish about wanting to throw away the the, the guilt and the shame because we don't like that feeling. Thank God has that there for a purpose. But if we just do it just for that motive alone, you know what can happen in your life? If you go back and keep doing the same thing and you keep pushing it off, there'll come a day you won't feel that guilt and shame. So our motive's got to be right. I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm, I feel guilt and laid down and shameful, and I want to get rid of this. Yes, but ultimately I've done wrong against God. I, I've, I've done this against the Lord. And so, I, Lord, I'm so, you've done so much for, I'm going, God, because if I've done you, I'm going to do that. And when we do it with the right motive, guess what? Your guilt and shame still gets eased up. So you can do it for God and that still happens. But there's a difference in doing it for God and that happening and you doing it just for the sole purpose of that taking place. Huh? Someone say Amen. William Barclay said this, he said, Many a man is desperately sorry because of the mess that sin has got him into. But he very well knows that if he could be reasonably sure that he could escape the consequences, he would do the same thing again. It is not the sin that he hates, it's the consequences that he hates. So repentance isn't just something that began to dance across the pages of the New Testament scriptures. Like, oh, John the Baptist came preaching repentance and remission of sins. Jesus came doing that. Disciples, they are doing that. Wow, this just kind of came out of nowhere. No, 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 no. Repentance just isn't a New Testament concept or idea. It's found all along in the Old Testament as well. Because repentance isn't only about turning from the bad to the good again, although that's how it's typically viewed it may very well be a turning from the good to the bad. As I stated earlier uh, in, 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 in Proverbs, it talks about the dog returneth. That's the word it uses. Returneth, exact same Hebrew word for repentance. Returneth to his vomit. Well, that ain't necessarily returning to something wonderful. <laughs> now, is it? Now, unless you like that type of thing, then go for it, okay? But I'm just saying, that's, that's, that's in a negative sense, not necessarily in a positive sense. So in the Old Testament, repentance carries the idea of turning back or turning away. It means to retreat. It's a military term. You've heard me say this, but let's get it in our heads again. An about face, that 180-degree turn in a change of direction. Amen. 
Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the word repent may not be used in our English Bibles, but that idea of turning or turning away is still there in the Scripture, which is basically repentance. He might not say repent. He might say in the children of Israel turned away or turned back. Many times it's the exact same Hebrew word. It's just the English phrase is different. It's not repentance necessarily spilled out, but it's turning back or turning away. It all means the same thing. It's talking about a change of mind that affects a change of life. The Bible says in Hosea 14 and verse number 1, O Israel, return, there it is, unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Verse 2. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. What's he talking about? This this return to the Lord or turn to the Lord. Repentance. That's what he's talking about. And folks, (laughs) nobody crucify me today, but I kind of like. The, the, the first phrase of verse 2. He said, take with you words. Amen. Come on now. That's right. Oh, God. Well, the Lord knows our heart. Yeah, he does. But when it comes to repentance, let me tell you, this is just Paul McGee, and I'm based somewhat off of that phrase. It's not coming to an altar and just standing before God. Although God knows your heart and reads your mind, that's not that. Come with some words. Yeah. You know what? There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, this is what I have done. This is what I've done against you. There's nothing wrong with being like David and saying, I have sinned. Come, come, come. Uh, I tell you what, years ago, and uh, it's become like the, the not, you know, non-existent anymore. They used to talk about the mourner's bench, you know, in the church. And that's where people sat down and poured out their, their, their past deeds into God. And they cried into God. And they came with words and they repented. Folks, I'm telling you, we need some good old-fashioned, here's my words, Lord. Here, here's what I've done. I acknowledge that. That was against you. But today I've had an afterthought. I've had a second, second thought about all this. And I'm, i got to change mine, and I'm going to allow that to affect my behavior, Lord. Amen. Return into the Lord. Take with you words. Turn to the Lord. <laughs> Malachi 3.7. Malachi 3.7. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Again, look at it. Return. Unto me. And look at the comfort here. I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Folks, you you don't have no greater comfort than that right there. He says, you return unto me. I return unto you. Huh? Sin is a separator. From the garden forward. Those... That first family that used to have access to the garden in the east of Eden was set outside of the garden. There was a flaming sword cherubim standing there to prevent them to come in because of transgression. It is a separator. But God says, are you returning to me? I'll return it to you. Makes me think of the scripture in James. that says, if you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh. See, there's something glorious that happens the moment that you repent. 
where you and God were almost like two soldiers back to back ready to walk 15 paces and then shoot. <laughs> huh? There's a, turning, there's a turning toward God and him turning around now toward you. Scholars have said, and from what I have read, there, there are over, probably around a total somewhere, not, not, not rigid, but of 164 uses of repent as, as a turning in a covetal context. What does that mean? That Meaning people that are turning toward God or away from God in that covenant contract that we have relationship with God. And the majority of them are found among the prophets. 113 of them are among the prophets. But Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, leads the way, man. He's first place among them all. 48 uses of that turning or returning is used in Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah, as you know, he's the weeping prophet. And he is constantly heralding a warning to the children of Israel. He's pleading with them day and night that they would return or that they would turn. But they do not. He even gives them at times detailed information on how to change their ways. But again, they refuse. And Jeremiah, he summarizes the whole essence of repentance in one verse. Here it is. In one verse, Jeremiah summarizes the essence of repentance. Jeremiah 18 and verse number 11. The Bible states these words. Now, therefore, Jeremiah says, go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Here is, here is the plea. Here is the command. Return ye now, everyone, from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Now look at this. Look at this. He tells us what to do. Return. He tells us when to do it, now. He tells who to do it, every one. He tells us from what we are returning. He says, from your evil way. And then he tells us as we turn from what, what should we turn to? He says, make your ways and your doings good. See, so there's where repentance takes on not just a change of mind, but it was going to affect the way and their doings. Huh? So we know, we know, we know the what, we know the when, we know the who, we know the from what, the to what, right here in Jeremiah. So it includes everyone. And if you're wondering when is a good time to repent, he told us now. So repentance is always good in the present. Even for us that are, oh, sanctimonious and filled with the power of the Spirit, bless God, baptized in Jesus' name. Every day, repentance is always good for the present. Now. Now. You wake up next, you wake up tomorrow and you think, you know what, I wonder if you should repent. Now. You, you start having that afterthought or that second thought, I wonder when's a good time to repent about that. The moment that you start feeling that. Amen. Sure, Jeremiah was speaking to a group of men of of Judah and and some of the inhabitants of Jerusalem that we see in that verse, but he might as well just been speaking to all mankind. All of us. Amen. Paul told those on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He said, now, 
He said, God, God winked at ignorance. He said, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He said, God, God winked. God winked at ignorance. And what, what happens in a wink? It's a moment of an eye that's closed, right? Just real quick. Boom. God winked. God, God closed his eyes at, at ignorance. And then that, 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 that's alluding to the Old Testament times that the Bible speaks about. And it makes differential there about when a man sinned ignorantly or when he sinned willfully. When he sinned and didn't realize he had sinned. And then whenever he sinned and he knew full well what he had done. When he did it ignorantly, he, he, he was not responsible until he realized he, what he had done. But the moment, the Bible says in the Old Testament, I think it's Leviticus, but the moment that he came to terms or he understood that he had sinned, he had then to make amends through the proper offerings for his sin. And so the Bible's saying God winked to ignorance. What are you talking about? Whenever you did that ignorantly before, God kind of just closed his eyes, went on, you know, until you come to understanding. He said, but now that ignorance is past and you've been illuminated, he said, now he commandeth. Huh? He commandeth all to... Repent. There are no options to repentance. There are no options to repentance. If we make it to heaven someday, we will have made it there because somewhere along our journey we have repented. And probably like Paul, we have died somewhat daily. There are no options. The mandate of the scripture, this is strong, but this is God's word. The mandate of the scripture is still repent or perish. Now, I know, you know, I don't see, you know, any parenthetical clause. All right. It's repent or perish. But here's the thing. There is a way that God brings repentance into our lives because you wouldn't even be able to repent if God didn't empower you to do so there's a way that God brings repentance that change of mind being able to have a second thought or afterthought that's not all you huh God brings repentance into our lives by some a word some people don't like and you don't like it many times when you feel it but it's called Conviction. God convicts. He doesn't condemn. And, and I'll tell you how you know the difference between the two. Because if it's condemnation, you want to run away from what it is. But if it's conviction, you want to be drawn to it. You're drawn to it. Uh-huh. And that's how you can tell whenever even sometimes during people's ministries the difference. Because if, if it's condemnation, you're probably going to want to run away from it. But if it's conviction, deep down, although you might be fighting tooth now, you really want to make a change concerning that. But so, so there's conviction. God uses conviction. You will not find the word conviction, conviction in the King James Version of your Bible. You will not find the word conviction. However, there are some Greek words in the Bible that mean conviction or convict. John 16 and verse number 8 is one of them. The Bible says, and when he has come, speaking of the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God, when he has come, he will reprove. That word reprove there means convict. Convict in the Hebrew. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment 
This is the same word that the Apostle Paul used whenever he spoke to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4 and 2, he told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. What's the word? Convict. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Because here's the powerful thing about preaching the word of God. The word of God itself, when you begin to speak what's in this word, it will convict. I said a few weeks ago, that's the reason why I said it's important even to read your word. Because if you read your word and be real honest with yourself while you'll read, you'll be convicted. It's the power of God's word. But look what happens though to a certain degree then. If you subtract the word of God from your life, you're living a life without convictions. And a life without convictions is a life that will do what it wants to do and have no afterthought or second thought about it. That's the reason why it's important that you hear. That's the reason why it's important to read your Bible. Because if you do so, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Why? Because the word convicts me. The word. Hallelujah. I need some daily bread. That's what happened on Pentecost. Peter was preaching the word, the death, burial, and resurrection. And what happened? It convicted those that heard it. And they're saying, what shall we do? They have an afterthought, a second thought. So a man, and this is absolutely true, a man will not repent until God's spirit provokes him to think differently about the way he has lived. Amen. Just a few verses, and I'll just run through these. You don't have to put them up there, Sister McGee. The Bible says in Acts 11 and verse 18, Then hath God also to the Gentiles, everybody say, granted, granted repentance unto life. 2 Timothy 2.25, if God, it's just a phrase, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Romans 2.4, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What's God, what God, what does God, he's very instrumental in this, in provoking people to a place of considering their life, where they are, where they've been, and where they need to be. There's no one that will be able to leave this earth someday and say, well, God never did grant repentance to me. Hogwash. If his mandate is repent or, or perish, I guarantee you he's provided opportunities that he's done a tug on the heart mm-hmm. about where we may stand. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9, 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men, 2 Peter 3, 9, sorry. Concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Oh, thank you, Jesus. To us word, not willing hmm, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, what happens many times in the New Testament around Peter, Thessalonians in particular, is that some people have been warned with the idea that the Lord was not keeping his promises because he had not come back yet for them. 
And since he had not come back, they, they, were, they were given over to doubtful disputation, so to speak, because he had not come back yet. But Peter let them know. Peter let them know that what we interpret as God, listen to me, as God delaying is really him being long-suffering. <laughs> they said, God gave you a promise. He's going to keep your promise. He's not slack concerning that promise. You're looking at it as though God delays because he's not come back. He said, but in reality, what you're experiencing is the long-suffering of God of those that are not yet where they need to be. So as years and times, Brother Andrew, have passed by, one generation has passed off the course, another generation, well, they've been saying for years the Lord is coming back. He, and everybody's chalking up, well, it's just not going to happen. You have misunderstood the, the, what you see as the delay of God when it was really the long-suffering of God. Because he's not willing that any should perish. So what is he doing? I'm going to bide a little bit more time. Maybe there'll be one more soul that will go to an altar. Maybe there'll be one more family member that gets right like they need to have done. Maybe there'll be just one more. I'm just going to just stand here a little longer. He's on the very precipice, the very edge of heaven, just waiting to, come on, Gabriel, sound the horn. I'm coming back. But this is not God delaying. This is God's long suffering. Because he's not, we don't want anybody to be lost. song that we used to sing growing up in the church we cry wait a little longer please Jesus there are so many wandering out in sin we cry wait a little longer please Jesus just a few more days to get our loved ones in so don't misunderstand God's long suffering as God not keeping a promise <laughs> let's raise our hands right now I feel the Holy Ghost Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> it's not willing that any should perish. Hallelujah. It's not delay. It's, it's a concern. It's a patient concern that the Lord has. He wants all to come to repentance. All to Come, the word come in the Greek means to make room for something. To give place to or receive it. In other words, what are you doing, God, in this quote-unquote delay? Allowing more time, what's he doing? He's making room and giving place for repentance. It's more than an afterthought, more than a mental change of attitude or feeling remorse. Ultimately, it's a change of a mind that impacts our actions. Repentance. First Thessalonians 1.9. Trying to keep track of time. I'll wrap it up here within the next, next five to ten minutes. First Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. How ye turned, there it is, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, that's repentance 
That's repentance played out. A turning from the idols, but a turning then to the living and the true God. Matthew 3, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, but when, we, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, this, this is John speaking, John the Baptist, O generation of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. One moment real quick. I don't want to misquote something. You got it up there? Okay. I feel better about that then. He said, who have, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse number eight. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Okay. Okay. Look at verse eight. Keep that up there. Bring forth. Bring forth. There is an urgency in those words. Bring forth. If I say it like that, there's similar with the Jeremiah. When to do it? Now. Bring forth. An urgency. Do it now. Fruit. Fruits. Huh? Fruit. According to God's word concerning us, the Bible says by their fruits you know them. Fruit is what we produce that others see and categorize us by. Hmm? Unless you're just a real good woodsman, you probably don't just look at the structure of a tree and the bark or the bloom and say, well, you know what, that's an apple tree or that's an orange tree, so on and so forth. If you're like me, it helps out a lot whenever there's that little red thing or such dangling from there or the orange thing. You know, <laughs> that's, a, that's an apple tree and that's an orange. That helps me out, uh, Chris. You know, if I have those things, by their fruit, I know what tree it is. Some people look at the bark and the rings and all, that's not me. Let me have the fruit, you know. That's a, by their fruit, you shall know them. And so by their fruit, you shall know So he said, bring forth urgently now. Bring forth fruit. What? Meat for repentance. Meat is this. The idea is that of having equal weight or worth that's answerable to a life that's been amended. What are you talking about? Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. <clears throat> In other words, if, if, if this is truly an apple tree, you're going to bring forth apples, all right? You're going to bring forth apples. If you're, truly, if you're truly trying to head in the direction of Christianity, you're going to bring forth fruit that matches what you're aspiring to become. Does that mean you got it all together whenever you repent? No. But it does mean you've set your head in a certain direction. Let me be as, as forward as I can. In other words, because we, we baptize dead people around here. Yeah, I'm not talking about real dead people. I'm talking about spiritually in the, the dead to the old man, all right, old way of life. They're going to have repented before we baptize. So here's, here's just as strong as I put it. I'm not going to take a man to the watery grave of baptism and let him cradle in his arms all of his smut magazines and put him down in water and get, get back up and just proclaim the victory and glory. Uh-uh. Because if he's truly repented, you know what? 
he's going to be trying to head in a direction that he needs to be going. Does that mean he has everything together? No. No, of course not. Of course not. There's still going to be days he might pick some of those up. But he's had a change of mind. He says, I don't, I just don't. That's, that's just kind of more repulsive now to me. There's days of weakness. Huh? Thank God for repentance. Meet, meet for repentance. Now, now John, he's, he's saying all this stuff. He's basically saying, if you, and this is John, because the Bible says right there that he, he's right here where, where, where they've come to where he's been baptizing. That's what it said in Matthew 3 and 7. They've come to where he's been baptizing. So John's basically saying, if you've come for baptism, then you must have repented. Huh? You bring, you bring, bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, he's saying, where's, where's the evidence that, that's equal in worth and weight to your repentance, your change of mind? Hmm? Fruit must start to be mirrored in the life of one that's turning from the old way. What do you say? It might not be a full-blown apple on the tree, but I hope there's a bloom. I'm not asking for mature apples. I'm just asking for a bloom. It's not even me asking. I'm just saying God's asking at least for a balloon. Amen. What are you talking about? Listen. I'm, I'm repenting. I want to head, head in the right direction. A nice bloom for that would be trying to make it to church then whenever church is open. would be paying attention whenever you need to be when you're here. That I would say that's a bloom. That that that's some type of indication of fruits meet for a changed life. Amen. Nobody can repent for you. God can convict you, but you've got to do the turning. Repentance paralleled with the crucifix of Jesus Christ, right? Talk about his death, burial, and resurrection. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, infilling of the Holy Ghost. Repentance paralleling the crucifix of Jesus Christ. Are you listening? Nobody could take the life of Christ. I know it looks like they strung him on the tree and they put the spikes in his hands, crowned all this stuff. Oh, they killed him. No, the Bible says... He gave up the ghost. He said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up. So what happened? What happened in that mode that's parallel to our repentance? He did a work. And so nobody can do it for us. Nobody can take his life. We got to give our life. Mm -hmm. We got to give our life. Dying to our old life. If you'll stand for me this morning, I'll hasten to a close. So I don't have it all together when I come to God. 
But somehow or another, I had this, this moment, this epiphany, if you will, that my formal, former way of living is, is not acceptable inside of God. I've come to this terms. I feel the regret, the guilt, and the shame. And because I realize what I've done against God, ultimately, I'm wanting to change direction because it's detestable in the sight of God. And I want to be pleasing unto God. And so it's important this morning that we, again, man, we're thankful when people get the Holy Ghost. That is tremendous and baptized tremendous. But we need not, we need not to degrade the importance of repentance. The fact of the matter is, here and according to God's word, they're not getting in the water unless they've done that. So that's just as vital as the other steps in this process. I don't want to minimize the importance of repentance. Luke 15, whenever the lost, that one sheep out of the 99, whenever it is found and the shepherd's bringing it back home upon its shoulders, the Bible says there is joy in heaven even over when one sinner repents. The lady who has her ten coins and whenever she loses one and she sweeps and searches the whole house until she finds it. The Bible says when it is found, it makes the parallel. There is joy in heaven over one sinner whenever it repents. Whenever the lost prodigal son out of the two, whenever he comes home and his father greets him and says, you're not going to be a slave, you're my son, you're going to be my son. That is tremendous. The father is celebratory and everybody else along with him except the elder brother. He didn't want to celebrate. He didn't want to make merry. We need not to be in the shoes of the elder brother around here at this church. Whenever they repent, let me tell you, that is just as precious as any other stage of the process of their salvation. When a person says, you know what? I realize what I have done, and I've done that ultimately against God. I have a second thought about that, and I want to change that. And so if there's tears, great, wonderful. Hopefully there are some words, but nevertheless, hopefully there are fruit that's meet for repentance says you know what I'm turning this ship around in another direction I'm going to draw nigh to God he's going to draw nigh to me and we have a turning over of a new leaf you turn the page and there's a brand new white page there to put quill to page so to speak and start writing the story anew because I guarantee you I guarantee you even me up here looking at you all today my book is just not composed of one chapter. There's been times I need to start a new chapter. Why? Because I need to change the direction of my story. Matter of fact, it's pretty. I've, I've yet, and maybe there's probably one out there. I know how people are. I've never read a book that just had a chapter. All right? Unless you're talking about a book of the Bible like Obadiah. <laughs> I've never read a book that just had one chapter. Why? Because it's, it's, it's instrumental along the way. In order for there to be some true story layout, there has to be changes of direction. There has to be interims of time where it's going to take a different, a, different, a different direction, a different way. And so this morning, you don't have to, don't come into this earth thinking, you know what, i gotta have a, I got to have a book that just has one chapter and there can't, no, no amendments, no, 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 no. Honey, I don't care if I leave this world. i got 2,000 different chapters in my book as long as they're always trying to head me back to the right finish of the story. We bow our heads in this place this morning. Hallelujah. All across here today, we could just begin to pray. And I, I open this altar today.
for anyone that may that may need to repent and we know repentance is a word that happens in the present now you say brother mcgee i've already holy ghost field that's fine but there could be something there could be something and if you're not even aware of it there's good times to go to the lord whenever you're not even aware of what it might be and say search me oh god like david said know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me you know what david's saying he's saying god there might be something i'm not totally aware of right yet but god if you'll bring it to my awareness I'll take it to the throne room. If you'll bring it to my awareness, God, I'll plead the blood of Christ over it because, Lord, I need to be in good standing with you. This altar is open today. Amen. Turn over a new leaf. Turn the page. Come to another place in the story and let there be something new written. New written differently than what's been written up to this point of time. If it's been negative, turn toward the good. Hallelujah. If it's been a good, then just turn another page and write another good. Hallelujah. But we need the presence of God to impress some things on our life church family and I say this for everybody on the sound of my voice the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back and I don't care if you've heard it from grandma and grandpa to mom and dad to you right now the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back and it's only because of his long suffering we are in this holding mode right now it's only because of his long suffering that we're in this treading water mode right now because he's trying to wait for just one more one more soul one more individual that's in need of him to turn their life around and repent and come to know him in the power of his might and his resurrection thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC thank you and have a blessed day